Let me just pray before I start. Lord Jesus, we just want to pray that, that your truth is heard today. I pray as much as possible that opinions of men is not heard, but the truth of your word would be clearly heard. Lord Jesus, whatever prejudice or whatever uh, past experiences have gone in our life to shape us, I pray that this day that we would be able to hold them loosely to you and allow you to reshape or to reaffirm your truths in our minds and our thoughts so that our actions may be one of obedience to God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I'm going to be talking on eldership. And I just want to give us a, a bit of a biblical foundation for why we at this church and for many churches across the world believe in eldership as a form of how church is led. And whenever you look at uh, biblical patterns, whenever you're looking for what is God talking to his people, you must, you must always look at the whole of Scripture. If you have a doctrine that you can only find in one part of Scripture, I'd be very wary of having that as a doctrine. If you find something that only appears in the New Testament, I would still be very wary of that as a doctrine. When we look through patterns and structure of biblical ways of doing things, we must look at the entirety of Scripture. So to look at elders, first we must go back and see what kind of a structure was the Old Testament and how did God bring that through to the New. We're going to start by um, looking at things like is the concept or even the word of elders, does it exist or is it often spoken of in the Old Testament to start with? The first uh, time it really speaks of elders in the context of Scripture is in Exodus. And it is when God tells Moses at the burning bush to go speak to the people and to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And in this very first time that elders have mentioned, God says to Moses, you and Aaron, go gather the elders of Israel, tell them all that I have said, and then this is a part that I hadn't realized before, but it says, you and the elders of Israel go to Pharaoh. So right from the beginning, there's this elders is, uh, um, has a shape of what the people of God are led by. Right there in Exodus. And it's not just a passive kind of, uh, I'll say something to you so you can share out the news. It's not an easy way of transferring news. There's something significant about it, even right there at the beginning. Because in that moment where God's telling Moses to speak to the Pharaoh, the, the king of the land, the, the power of that time, he says, with the elders of Israel. And I, I, I'm, you're probably similar to me. You've seen many movies about Moses, and all of them are Moses going alone, really, by himself to Pharaoh, to speak to Pharaoh, and to tell him what God has said. But 
The truth is, the Bible says, the elders of Israel went with him. So here we have a group of leaders of Israel with Moses going to Pharaoh to speak. So early on we see that elders are very important in the biblical worldview. In fact, it's so important that when we look at, we we see such an amazing uh, physical reality of the people of Israel coming out of um, Egypt as a symbol, as a foretaste of what it is to be born again into the kingdom of God. And it's this powerful image. And in that moment, God is not sending one man to go tell Pharaoh. He's sending a whole eldership to go speak to Pharaoh. And so it's important that right there we get out of our mind that God isn't about a single person and a single focus. Right even there, he's asking for a leadership, an eldership to be supporting behind that. We also see in the Old Testament there is different roles elders took, different places. There was elders of Israel, which was what Moses was called to bring before Pharaoh. There was also talks about in Deuteronomy that there's elders of cities. So cities in Israel had their own elders and tribes had elders. And so there seems to be elders that are over Israel, elders that are over tribes, and elders that are over cities or towns. And so there seems to be different roles of elders in the Old Testament. What's hard to know about elders in the Old Testament is nowhere is it written how they were appointed. Nowhere is it written how they governed or lived out or functioned in those roles. But what seems to come out time and time again in Scripture is elders were there to bring stability to a community. They were there to bring protection, to bring uh, a sense of justice and a sense of law being abided by. They were to bring stability. But one of the most important things that gets brought out in Scripture, particularly in Deuteronomy, in Deuteronomy 32.7, it speaks about elders being the ones who are to remind us of who God is. The primary function in the Old Testament of elders seems to be to remind us what God has done, how faithful God has been, why do we do the things we do, because God has told us to. And one of the primary functions that Scripture speaks in the Old Testament of an elder is to remind us of who God is and what he has said. Elders were also part of a a larger, a far larger leadership structure of the people of Israel. It speaks of officials and judges and priests and kings. And the elders had a function within that, that they themselves were 
not all judges, but they were there to help the judges. They were not all officiating as in running off the towns or running off the nation, but they were there to help advise and be part of that stability, reminding them of why we are doing things. The elders were not the priests, but they were there to help support the priests. And it's mentioned also in 1 Kings that the elders were there to support the king. And what we see in this is we see a pattern that elders right from the very formation of the nation of Israel are right there at the start. And this pattern of elders being involved in the community and the structure is right from the very start there. And it seems to, as all we can see, is continued right up to the time of Jesus. Even in the time when Jesus was there, they also had elders. Now, there was a few other groups added on to that. We had the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes. Um, They were added into that, but they were not necessarily elders although some were. So we see that the pattern and the structure of the Old Testament gives us reason to believe that elders is something that God has from the very start seen as a good thing for his people. And it's interesting to see how the different roles and the different functions of elders in Israel seems to have a similar working out in the church today. So we can see that elders are in the Old Testament. Are elders in the New Testament then? Does this carry over? Because remember what I said at the start, that we don't just take part of Scripture, we take the wholeness of Scripture. And if something is mentioned multiple times in the whole of Scripture, we know that it's important to communicate it. The word elders in the Old Testament is mentioned over a hundred times. Over a hundred times. So it is an important topic to speak about. In the New Testament, elders, uh, as there's three primary words that would be translate can be translated into elders, they are used over 70 times in the New Testament. So it seems like on proportion, elders seem to have even more importance by weight of numbers in the New Testament than even in the Old. Part of that is because the structure of priesthood and the Levitical uh, law and covenant has now passed away and been fulfilled in Christ, and this now is a coming together of the church as the priesthood of all believers. And so we see that elders are even more important. There's three main words in the Greek that is used, presbyteros, poimen, and episkopos are the three Greek words that are used to translate or to give us the same description of a, of a role or position or function in the church. Um, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter actually use these words interchangeably. Um, they don't seem to have a problem to use the same word to mean the same group, even within the same short verses. We have in Acts 20, 17 and 28, the Apostle Paul has no problems using the word um, presbruteros to mean elder, and the exact same down below, a little bit further on, he uses episkopos, which means overseer or bishop. And he has no problem using both 
in the same context. Peter the same is in 1 Peter 5, 1-2. He uses both of these. In fact, he uses all three to describe the same group. So elders have a function, they have a structure, they have a biblical narrative that's coming through from the Old Testament into the New. Once again, there's a, there's a bit of similarities in we don't really have a defined way of how elders were chosen and picked in the Old Testament, and it doesn't really seem to be in the early church. They don't describe exactly how the elders were picked either, only that they start mentioning by about halfway through Acts that elders existed. They don't say how they were picked. They don't say the function or the role. They just say the elders are now there. And we know this, in, particularly in Acts 15, when we've got the, the Jerusalem Council, and, and Pete, uh, Paul is coming to Jerusalem because some people have risen up, some of the, the Pharisees who have become Christians have said that salvation requires circumcision. And so they said to all the new Christians who were Gentiles, you cannot have salvation unless you're circumcised. And of course, Paul is saying, the Apostle Paul says, that's not what Scripture says. And so they have the council in Jerusalem, and right there at the start it says that the apostles and elders gathered together to discuss this matter. Now we don't know who the elders were, but we know that they were there, and it was important that they were there for a, um, a significant moment in the church history. At this moment here, the church had the, the, the great battle of either going back into a, a law-bound uh, religion or for them to know the fullness of the grace of God. And here was a battle for the grace of God that saves, not law. And the elders are significant in that moment. And in fact, it says that when they sent the letter out, it was from the apostles and the elders that they sent the letter to affirm that. It also seems that some of the apostles, we don't know if all of the apostles were elders, but we certainly know that some of them were elders. Uh, Peter, the apostle Peter, it refers to himself as an elder. We know John the apostle refers to himself as an elder as well. So there seems to be elders and apostles are not the same, but it seems like some apostles were elders, but it doesn't mean all elders were apostles. And this seemed to be the normative practice of the early church. The normative practice of the early church was to have elders and to appoint elders. And one of the reasons we, particularly in this uh, style of church that we have, we try to avoid the word pastor. And the reason for that, and we like the word elder and eldership, and the reason we avoid pastor is that there can be an overemphasis of one of the roles that an elder should take, which is being pastoral. And being pastoral is important, but it's not the only role of an elder. And when we speak of pastors too much, we put too much emphasis on the pastoral and not enough emphasis on the defending of truth or the advancement 
of the kingdom. And so that's why we would not really refer to anyone here, anyone in eldership here as pastor, because pastoral work is only part of the larger picture. So we see that by halfway through Acts, we have a normative practice of elders being in the church. And we have in, um, in Acts 14, let me just read this one out. And it says this. So this is Paul in Lystra. Uh, so the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. But when disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So this seems like the normal way that the church would function, that there would be a church planter, an evangelist would come, they would stir up the, the hearts of men, they would lead people into the salvation of God, they would stay there teaching them for a time, and then they would appoint elders. And I think this is important that we understand that it's not elder, but elders. So we can see that there's a, there's a biblical pattern, a biblical structure of elders being right through the Old Testament up to Jesus' time and continuing on into the New Testament. Their reason for them being there is still very similar, but it's not so much about building of a nation, but building of the kingdom of God. So what is the biblical shape of church elders? What is the biblical shape? The first part I want to say is the, bib the first biblical shape of elders is its plural. There is always more than one elder. Now there are, there are exceptions. There are times when a church is starting out there are times when where there is a waiting to see who rises up to be an elder. But in the norm, it seems that Scripture says there will always be multiple elders. And if there is one elder, then there is a, almost a need and a desire and almost a need to hurry to try and find the next one to raise up into eldership. It is very important that eldership is plural. We see that all through Scripture. I've just read here in Acts 14. You have it again in Titus 1.5 when Paul is telling Titus that in every town appoint elders. So it doesn't even seem, size doesn't even seem to matter. It doesn't say as soon as you get over a certain size of church, then you can appoint multiple elders. It just seems like multiple elders is the starting point. And we go from there. Size does not seem to matter at all. 
a guy who wrote on biblical eldership, Alexander Strouch, says this, We can be sure that the establishment of congregational oversight by the plurality of elders was not an arbitrary decision. This isn't something that is just, oh, it seems good. There seems to be a pattern from the Old Testament that's right through into the New Testament that appointing multiple elders is a way that God intended it to be. So the biblical shape is one of plural eldership. The second point I want to bring out is the biblical shape of eldership is one of authority. A nice way to think of it is the buck stops with the elders. 1 Timothy, let, let me read from 1 Timothy 5.17. And it says this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour, especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. So here we have part of what the structure of eldership in a church is meant to be. There is a sense that they are to be ones who is to govern or to rule over the church, but it is one that is expected to be done well, which means that we know, but we also can see from here that it doesn't always, it is not always done well. And this is something that we need to be aware of. And just because someone has been called an elder doesn't mean that they will rule over the congregation well, but it is their desire that should be theirs because there is a sense that even in that, God is saying that there is a double portion for those who can do it well. There's a reward because it's not easy to do. The heart of man when it comes to authority is one of quick corruption. Another reason why you have multiple elders. It is far harder for corruption to come in if there is a multiple eldership. If there is a singular, well, that will happen probably more often than not. And part of the plurality of eldership is that they, they can tamper one another. One who is all about teaching can be wanting to only teach the word. But you also need the one who is wanting to go and say we need to be active in the community as well. And so you have multiple people in eldership helping one another to be able to fulfill what God has called the church to fulfill. But because it says they will rule well, or they, they should rule well. It also says that um, there is two types that they have to govern over. Uh, one is to do with doctrine, and one has to do with general matters in the church. And both of these are important for elderships to get right. And both are important that they are the elders that do it. Some church structures separate the two things and elders are only for teaching and doctrine and, and then there's another body that is all for the general matters of the church. The danger for that is you've got the people teaching 
but they're not necessarily knowing what's needed. And you become a a teacher-heavy church, which would emphasize the sitting down and listening part more than the getting up and going part. And so that's why it's important that the eldership is both governing both doctrine and general matters of the church. That's how we do it. We don't have a governing body and eldership. They are one and the same. And that's once again why we need to have multiple elders. So in this we have in 1 Timothy 5.17 where we see the Apostle Paul says um, that there's a double portion or double honour for those who rule well, but especially those who labour in preaching and teaching, which implies that that is a primary function of elders, but it's not the only, because he wouldn't use especially. He would, only, he would use something like only. But because it's part of it, we need to know uh, that doctrine is important and vitally important part of eldership, but so is the other matters. Part of the teaching and preaching of doctrine is elders are there for the protection of doctrine. They are there to be the defenders of truth. And so what happens sometimes is because they're there for the defense of the truth, it is not always easy to hear what is spoken. But as but as elders, we are not there to just be pastoral and be concerned about feelings and where you are or where you're comfortable or not. The, the role of elders is to make sure that the truth is being spoken, that the truth is being explained, and that you ultimately realize that it's a truth that is actually going to bring you in to freedom. We have the Apostle Paul speaking uh, through to Timothy multiple times. And one of them, Timothy 4.16, he says, keep a close watch on the teaching. So elders are supposed to keep a close watch on teaching. It is not a, oh yeah, go say what you want. Or people picking up the latest craze of what's in Christian teaching at the moment or even in the world. There can be very popular people that are close to the truth but not actually have the truth. One of these would be, that comes to my mind, some may have heard, is a guy called Jordan Peterson, a man that seems to be close to the truth but does not have it. We would be very wary of taking everything that a man like that says and we would be guarding what he says and filtering that through scripture. We must guard and watch closely the teaching. But I just want to emphasize that although that is one of the primary roles of elders is to watch the teaching, it is also upon you, upon you to also watch the teaching. The Bereans were praised not because they were all leaders, but because they went and searched the Scripture to see what was spoken was true or not. So it's not a free pass for you to go, they'll sort it out. 
It is upon you also to take responsibility for what is being said. But as I said at the start, the authority is upon the eldership, so the buck stops with us. If bad teaching isn't rooted out in the church, that's not upon the congregation, even though the congregation is responsible for pointing it out. It is upon the eldership that is supposed to root it out and destroy it. And this is how it works. You help us as we help you. And it only works together. So it's not a free pass to ignore doctrine. In fact, the emphasis is you need to study doctrine yourself. It is important. So elders have authority to do with doctrine. They also have authority to do with general matters. Um, as I said, there's the implication in this that not just preaching and teaching, but there's other parts that the elders lead. Um, they're also in Timothy 1, 3 and, uh, chapter 3, 4, 4 to 5, where it's giving a list of what an elder should be like, and it speaks about one who can manage his household, because if he can't do that, how will he be able to do it in the church? which is a direct linking between if you can't manage your home life, you won't be able to manage the church, so you're disqualified almost immediately. So there is an emphasis on being able to both manage the church family, and this is interchangeable time and time again. It's fascinating when you start looking at it. When you start looking at 1 Timothy it seems to interchange time and time again the, 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 the story of family life and church life. Church is supposed to reflect the family, but the family is supposed to reflect the church. And this, this crossover goes over and back and forth, back and forth, time and time again through Timothy. This beautiful, amazing picture of church as family. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. So there is a sense that actually there is a doctrinal, a teaching aspect of it, but there is other general matters that the elders are responsible for. And it is more than just teaching because it's a sense of your soul, your, your, your purpose, your, your sense of your worth, and all that is, is an elder is supposed to be able to speak into that as well. So the biblical shape of church Eldership is one of, it's plural, it has authority, and as I said, it is family-shaped. It is not a corporation. We have no CEOs, we have no prime ministers, we have no presidents. We have fathers. The biblical shape of eldership of, in the church is one of fathers. And we see this narrative coming up time and time again. The very first words in the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father. It is important that the shape of what God is describing himself is has a shape in the church, which has a shape in our family, which has a shape in our life. And God being father, expects there to be fathers among his people. 
Ephesians 3.14 even brings it out in a, an amazing way where it, it speaks about the Father in heaven having uh, that he gives a name in all heaven and all earth. His name is what defines the name of families. Every family is named after him, both church and our own family. Timothy 5, 1 and 2. It gives us understanding that the church is family, where it says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. It, it doesn't seem to be a difference in church and family life. There's a, they seem to be one and the same purpose. It's to display the family of God. And here among us, we must have that same shape of fathers and mothers, of sons and daughters, of brothers and sisters. But the, what comes out time and time again in elders is the primary qualification for eldership. The primary qualification for an elder is father. An elder must be a father. This is what comes out in Scripture time and time again. There is no leeway for any other way to describe elder other than a father in the church. The way I see it and the way I term it is this, is elders are governing fathers of the church. They are to govern, to overlook, to protect, to care for, to be there for the church. And this is why elders must be fathers. Also why women are not elders, because we do not want women to be fathers. I do not want my wife to be a father. I do not want my daughter to be a son. I want them to be a mother and a daughter and a sister. And this is the beauty of the church. This is the amazing part that it comes together in. Although eldership is male, although it is for fathers, it shows us that, that we have mothers and sisters and brothers and sons and daughters. It implies that we are a family. And it brings out that we have an opportunity to complement one another. And the beauty of God in this is that the differences united together glorify God far more than if we just try to remove the differences altogether. We complement one another. Mothers bear children. My wife has a motherly bond with our children that I cannot even hope to replicate. My wife has a perspective on our family that I do not have. And she has a perspective on the church that I cannot have. So she is vitally important to me in our family and in the church. Likewise, fathers are there to protect. They are to provide and protect for the family. 
that is a function of fathers. And a father has a bond with their sons and daughters that a mother cannot. I have a fatherly bond with my children that cannot and will not be able to be replicated by any mother. And it is important that they have both. If we do not have fathers and mothers in the church, if we just say they are all the same, we are effectively saying we're okay with single-parent churches. We're okay saying single parents are the best form of parenting. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Any parent, I... I have a wife to help me out. And I can say right now, any parent who has to do anything alone is a superhero in my books. I don't think I ever could. And this is the purpose of this. God says, don't do it alone. I have joined you together for a reason. Do it together because your differences matter. Your differences matter. So we need both fathers and mothers in the church but elders can only be fathers. I want to also emphasize that all elders are fathers and all elders are leaders, but not all leaders are elders. The biblical narrative is clear on this. There is more roles that are open and encouraged and we see come out in, in women being able to lead and that's one of the things we want to continue to encourage. Male eldership should be the bedrock of allowing women to flourish into leadership as God has called them to do. Let me read from Kathy Keller, who is um, the late Tim Keller's wife. She says this, Women are encouraged to be active, Verbal participants in the life of the church, teaching, exalting, encouraging, and contributing in every way except in the office of elder. The verses that mandate this gender-based distinction are provided with armor against the charge that their stipulations are time or situation specific only. There is something that is being commanded to the church that we must find a way to obey. Dismissing, ignoring, or throwing one's hands up in despair or finding clarity are not an option. So where we need to work really hard is how do we complement one another, fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. And this we must work hard at. Let me finish by wrapping all this up. What is the purpose of elders? What is the purpose? What is the primary reason God has put elders in a family congregation, in a family church? The answer is in Matthew 28. Verse 16 to 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. 
but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is the purpose of the elders? To fulfill the great commission. There is no other reason for elders. There is no other reason for us to be an elder other than that we see the great commission of Jesus Christ fulfilled. If you cut us, we must bleed the great commission. If we expose our heart, it must be the gospel that pours out. The purpose of elders is that the great commission may be fulfilled. Elders are there to equip the saints for work of ministry. Why? So that the great commission may be fulfilled. Ephesians 4.12 Colossians 1.28 The elders are there so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 1 Peter 2.9-10 The elders are there so that the priesthood of all believers may proclaim the excellencies of of him. The purpose of elders is that the great commission may be fulfilled. And that requires that the church locally is activated, is functioning, is healthy, is receiving all truth that is needed for the works of service that God has given it to do. And God has seen that this is a good thing. This is how the, I'd like to sum it up. Purpose of elders is this. Elders are governing fathers that have the purpose of protecting the church, protecting the truth, so that the church may grow into maturity and go make disciples of all nations. The purpose of eldership is that the fathers can raise up sons and daughters so that they may complete what Christ called us to, which is to go make disciples in every nation. We are both here to build and mature and see one another encouraged up, but it is also so that the kingdom may advance and the nations may be reached. I don't know a single parent who would love to see their child stay a child their whole life. I couldn't imagine what it would be like having a 50-year-old child in your house doing the exact same thing as they did when they were 10. Not doing the dishes unless you told them to. Not doing the bins unless you told them to eating all your food, watching TV, whatever it is, no responsibility. I do not know a single parent who would be happy that their child at the age of 50 would still be in the same state as they were when they were 10. That is not the purpose of parents. The purpose of parents are to grow up a child in the way that they should go and then see them go so that they almost so may do the same thing. Fathers and mothers 
in the church are for the same reason, that you don't just stay children, that you grow up into maturity so that you may go and do likewise, that you also may go make disciples. The Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples. Let me read it again, what an elder is. They are governing fathers that have the purpose of protecting the truth and the church family so that the church may grow into maturity and go make disciples of all nations. As we go forward, and one of the reasons we're speaking about this is so you understand the shape of what eldership is in this church. You understand why we're asking Simon to come join us. That we, we don't just want to be two, but three. And that also we are looking to raise up other sons and daughters in the church. We are looking to raise up mothers and fathers. Not all fathers are elders. There are fathers among you. That doesn't mean you have to be an elder. But all elders must be fathers. So as we go forward in the days and the weeks ahead, our heart is that the family of God may be elevated, may be matured, that each of you who have a calling upon your life, that you may see it fulfilled in all that God has for you to do. Let me pray and then we shall go get coffee. Lord Jesus, we thank you that, that you communicate your truth to us so that we may be able to throw off the shackles that bind us, the distractions that take us out of your purposes. We thank you that you have given us elders who are the fathers in the church. We thank you that you have given us mothers. I thank you that you have given us family together. I thank you that you have called us into your family. The description you use of salvation is adoption into the family of God. And we thank you for that. And we pray, Lord Jesus, in the days and the months and the years ahead that we will come into a more fully realization of what it is to be a family of God, to see many raised up into maturity, to see sons and daughters run ahead and run on, to see those who are mothers in the church, to step up and step into what they're called to, to those who are fathers in the church, to step up and step into what you have called them to do, that we may be a people who go to the ends of the earth to see disciples made for the glory of Jesus, that we may see many more worshipping Christ for who he is. We pray this would be our our goal, our mission, our heart, that the Great Commission would be fulfilled here in this place and from this place to many other nations, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.